We continue on a lovely Thursday afternoon. Welcome back to the Jason Greger Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Of course, NHL action. The Oilers uh, back in action tomorrow against the Ducks. Corey Perry against his former team. Well, uh, looks like he's going to play on the second line. Him and Fogel switching lines. Uh, a little boost there. I still think Fogel, uh, McLeod, and, and Holloway are ultimately uh, your best option as a third line. So I could see why you want to get them comfortable. And I think just illustrates that the Oilers could use a, a second line right winger. For sure. So could also use uh, Nick Dowd and Beck Malenstein if you were looking for a duo in the uh, on the fourth line and on the penalty kill. So uh, you can lo- you can look at the odds for uh, prop bets galore at PlayAlberta.ca. And uh, Travis Kelsey, receiving yards, 70. Ooh, I like the over there. I like the over. Now, let's go around the NHL, brought to you by McDonald's, and it's back, baby, the McRib, but only for a limited time. You've waited 10 years for the juicy pork, boneless pork patty dipped in barbecue sauce. Well, don't wait much longer or you'll miss it because it's only here for a limited time, the McRib at McDonald's. And uh, a big story that came out uh, this week in the in the NHL uh, off the ice involving uh, John Tavares as he's filed an appeal with the Tax Court of Canada uh, seeking to have his CRA reassessment of his 2008 uh, tax return. So uh, we're going to get somebody who knows way more about taxes uh, than I do. Uh, Chris Lang from Faleski Flynn LLP, a leading tax law firm in Canada. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Not too bad, Jason. Thanks for uh, having me on and, and reaching reaching out to us for comment. Hey, I appreciate it. So so I was reading the article in the National Post and, you know, Tavares' side is arguing that his bonus should have only been taxed at a 15% rate under the provision of the Canada-U.S. Taxation Treaty, which sets the lower tax rate for inducements such as signing bonuses, paid to athletes, artists, etc., at 15%. CRA assessed that he must pay at a rate of over 38% on the bonus plus interest. So I guess, first of all, that uh, Canada-USA taxation treaty, um, like these big lump sum bonuses, are they? is that what it's for or is that considered an outlier? How do you view it? So they are contemplated by... Um by the Canada-U.S. tax treaty. And and really, for clarity, why this comes up is because at the time, John received the the first $15 million tranche of his signing bonus was he received it at a time when he was not resident in Canada and, and resident in the U.S. And so what the tax treaty does is tell basically Canada how much they're entitled to, to tax John on this signing bonus. And so really the, the key issue in, the, in this case is going to be the, the characterization of whether signing bonuses as defined in NHL player contracts are actually signing bonuses at law. And so what this means is that even though the, the NHL contract might label this payment as a, as a signing bonus and it's treated as a signing bonus for purposes of the NHL rules and the and the salary cap rules, um, you know, it's not necessarily going to be treated as a signing bonus or an inducement um, for income tax purposes. And so, really, what this means is that the the courts are going to dive in and, and look at the substance of what this payment actually is and whether it's 
truly an inducement or a signing bonus and whether it's just ordinary employment wages. Hmm. And so interestingly, the the courts have considered um, signing bonuses in NHL contracts before in Canada. Okay. Um, Going all the way back to uh, Nikolai Habibulin's first player contract with the Winnipeg Jets back in 1994. And so in in that case, the, the court really took issue with the structure of the NHL signing bonus. Okay. And there really took two issues. It, it had two issues with the signing bonus structure. Um, the first was that, you know, such a substantial portion of the total amount being paid to the player is being defined as a as a signing bonus and so we get this same problem in the Tavares case where i believe his signing bonus was in the range of 70 million yeah but his total contract value is 77 million so again you've got a disproportionate amount allocated to signing bonuses as opposed to what are supposed to be his wages over the lifetime of the contract and so the the second issue that the court had with the NHL signing bonus is basically the the ability for the signing bonus to be cut off if the player contract is is terminated prematurely right and you know that can even result in the player having to um claw back and and repay some of their signing bonus back to the team and you know from a legal point of view both of those factors don't really jive with this truly being a signing bonus or an inducement to enter into the contract. It might be treated as that for purposes of the NHL, but all of those factors really suggest that this is just ordinary wage income and therefore taxable in Canada at ordinary rates. And so the basis of the, the, the CRA's reassessment is that because this wasn't an inducement in legal reality, um, Tavares isn't eligible for that flat 15% tax as outlined in the tax treaty. And instead he just pays ordinary tax. And so the the 38% rate you mentioned is really just the difference between the tax he's already paid right. at the 15% rate and then the top marginal rate that he should have paid on that amount. Okay. Um, now, do you know, does the U.S. have the same, do they have something similar? Would, would there be like a 15% um, uh, for, for at, like um, NHLers that play there? That, would they would they qualify or is it because I read in the article and they said, oh, this is going to hurt Canadian teams' ability to sign players. I'm like, well, but if the U.S. doesn't offer this 15% thing, then I don't see how it impacts them. Well, so the tax treaty is, what's called a bilateral tax treaty. So it applies from the perspective of both parties. So whether this was going in the other direction towards the U S the same 15% rate could be applicable. Okay. Really the, why, why this is going to have a a problem for basically recruitment of players in Canada is that generally Canadian tax rates are much higher than the U S and, and maybe even, every other country that hockey players are coming from. And so, you know, if, if the signing bonus is included in ordinary wage income, um, you know, Canada is, if the player decides to sign in Canada, they're going to have more tax than they would have to pay if they signed in the U S which 
generally puts pressure on the market for signing players in Canada. Chris Lang from uh, Valesky Flynn LLP, a leading uh, tax law firm in Canada, is our guest. Uh, we're talking about the John Tavares. So now this case, um, let's say Tavares wins. D- d- would any other athletes who are currently in Canada who have signed after Tavares and just you know didn't fight this and paid the tax, would they be eligible to go then and fight it and say, hey, you now, we should get the same 15%? It is possible. So if if uh, I suspect, because a lot of these NHL players are represented by the same people, I suspect that most players are taking the position that Tavares took. And so this case is potentially going to have wide-sweeping um, potential application. But if there were was a player that took the opposite approach and, and paid the greater, the higher tax rate, it is possible for them to go back and and amend their tax return to try and claw back some of the taxes they would have already paid. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you look at the, um, how, how much of a benefit is it? Uh, Cause we talk about, okay, you pay lower taxes, no question, but, but Canadian players who reside in Canada, um, they do get paid in American funds. And right now the American dollar is significantly higher. So if you have a $10 million contract, you're living in Canada. Well, that's, 10 million American. Well, that's worth about 13. Does that, how much do you think that negates the overall taxation from some of those American places? Is that a benefit for Canadian athletes who reside year round? Uh, like it, it obviously is a benefit because they're getting paid in a foreign currency that has greater purchasing power in Canada. But I think where the analysis comes in is on a player to player analysis they're all getting paid in U.S. dollars. And so if Canada is going to impose a greater level of tax, then dollar for dollar players are going to be better off signing with the U.S. team. And and really that's been the way it, that's been the way it's been for a long time because really Canada is just a high tax jurisdiction. And they're, they're, you don't ever see that changing, do you, Chris? Uh, no. I'd expect taxes, you know, our taxes are high, so I don't know how much higher they could go, but generally over time, there's never been a a reduction in taxes. Yeah. Now, um, the last one, John Tavares being a Canadian, if he was an American citizen, would this, would this change things at all for him? So if he was an American citizen, um, you know, and still, is your question if he was still coming to play for the Maple Leafs and yeah, he was like an if, American yeah. citizen? Like, would it change? Like, would he? Would the tax thing change at all for him? Would Would he have a stronger case, less of a stronger case, or is it irrelevant? Where you know that you're a, you're a Canadian American uh, European playing in Canada under the taxation? Would it change at all? Yeah, it would. Um, because if if Tavares, you know, right now he's a Canadian resident, so the the. The dichotomy is whether he gets the 15% rate on the signing bonus or whether it's fully included in his income in Canada, because as a Canadian resident, he's taxed on everything he makes worldwide. Whereas if he was, you know, a U.S. citizen and only coming to Canada temporarily to perform his duties as a as a player for the Maple Leafs, um, how athlete taxation works is generally their wages are prorated between the two countries based on the number of games they play in each country so really the difference is 
if he was a U.S. citizen, even if he didn't get the 15% rates under the treaty, his tax rate would still be less than as a Canadian resident because only a portion of his income is being allocated to Canada versus in Tavares's current case, all of his income is taxable in Canada. Okay. Chris, I really appreciate it. So when you look at this, Kate, you, do you think that, um, like, does Tavares, how strong of a case does he have here? Do you think the CRA is ultimately that the courts are going to rule in their favor because of, as you mentioned, uh, the disproportionate amount of the bonus uh, that actually is his whole contract? And so it's basically, it's it's a way to, he gets his money up front, but it's still considered his wage. That's right. I, I think, you know, anything can happen when when issues go to court. I think particularly interesting is the the prior case involving Happy Bulin, which although isn't specifically interpreting the Canada-U.S. tax treaty. So, you know, it, it is uncertain, but I think ultimately it's going to be an uphill battle for Tavares. Awesome. Chris, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem, Jason. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That's uh, Chris Lang from Feleski Flynn LLP, uh, a leading tax law firm in Canada. So I've been reading that. And honestly, I don't know enough about it. So uh, I, it's always good to get the uh, you know people that that's what they do. They understand tax law. They read up on it. And, you know, the way he described it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Right. So the signing bonus is done there for players. You know, it, it makes it buyout virtually uh, impossible. Right. Or I shouldn't say virtually impossible. It just really limits the willingness of a team to want to buy you out. Right. And so the court's going to look at that and says, hey, so you're still getting the majority of your wage. So this is still wages. It's not what an inducement is, which considered an inducement is supposed to be, you know, that they're signing bonuses. And I like how he referenced the, the Nikolai Habibulin going back to 1994 with the Jets, where, you know, you used to have a signing bonus. And yeah, you get $800,000 signing bonus. But then your contract was was still four mil or something, right? Three mil. Well, obviously not back in in, in the nineties, but you used to get pretty big signing bonuses for guys coming out of uh, out of junior. I know lots of guys who got like seven hundred grand as a signing bonus. It's just a different time, right? And so now they look at this and say this signing bonus really isn't a bonus on top of it, where you know you're getting eleven million dollars, ten of it's a bonus, and one million's your salary. We all know that that's only done to be buyout proof. And it's beneficial for the players because they get that lump sum of money in July. Now think about that. You get nine, you get 10 million right there. You put all of it, especially when you're in year two. I'm, something tells me you probably got a decent amount in your bank account. You could put all 10 of that into investments right away. Even if you're only getting 8%, well, now you're getting 8% on 10 mil for 12 months instead of how it would add up slowly, right? Like you get a million dollars or whatever it be, a million five in October, you know, million five, million five, million five. But now you're getting that 10 months. You're getting way more. You're making more money because of the interest. So it benefits the players, no question. So that the, the issue is, though, anybody out there who's ever, you pay interest owing to CRA, it is not a low interest fee. And that's what's going to be the crusher here. Is uh, It's not the Now, maybe... You know, they might get a an agreement where he just has to pay back the tax difference. But if he has to pay the interest on top of it, that's where it becomes a huge blow. Because uh, interest, not good. Uh, one t- I had a small amount of interest once. It was like 800 owed, and it turned into like three grand. You're like, what? So, yeah, I can tell you. You get into the uh, millions, that would be a big matzo ball. 
323. Quick break. When we come back, it's happened, people. Some new defense pairs for the Edmonton Oilers. Three to be exact. We'll tell you about it next. 329. Welcome back. Sports 1440. Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you. And uh, Dave McCarthy is going to join us in a second. But uh, order fans, I'm curious. What are your thoughts? Three new defense pairs unveiled today at practice. Uh, Corey Perry also switches lines with Fogle. He's with Drysdale and Kane, but that's not the big story. Darnell Nurse, Vincent DeHarnay. Matthias Ekholm, Cody Cece. Brett Kulak with Evan Bouchard. Those are the uh, three new D pairs today at practice. And uh, you know what? Uh, obviously, I think the coach is probably thinking about it. They had won 16 in a row, didn't want to make a change, but uh, wants to try a few new things. And, hey, no offense to the Anaheim Ducks, but it's probably the perfect team to try uh, it out against. Let's be real here. The order's about scored them 15-4 to four this year. I don't think that these changes are suddenly going to have the team completely fall apart at all. But uh, what are your thoughts? There's lots of chew on there, so uh, we'll get to all that. But uh, first we go in the room, brought to you by NextGen Transportation, heavy haul transport provider, 100% locally owned and operated, and uh, huge sponsors of uh, numerous youth sports teams, and now an Olympian. They uh, sponsor Devo uh, McEwen and his uh, quest to qualify for the upcoming Olympics from Canada Bobsleigh. Good luck. Devo from nextgentransportation.com as uh, Dave McCarthy, usually our Tuesday guest, but uh, he was hosting uh, the national show on Sirius XM uh, so on Tuesday. So uh, we just uh, rejigged it. So, uh, Dave, as always, we appreciate uh, you taking the time to join us on the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thanks for your uh, your accommodation on Tuesday. I always appreciate it, but I, I wouldn't miss a week, that's for sure. Jeez, buddy. I, I just look at you. You've got, like, hundreds of bottles around you. Like, are you just like a vendor? <laughs> No, I do not sell wine. <laughs> I collect wine. Oh, Jeez, you you got to build up the stash here, man. Nice. You never know what's going to happen. Oh, I like it. Um, uh, hey, building up things. The, uh, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, let's start there. Uh, big win over the Dallas Stars last night. Uh, their top guys are, are definitely going, uh, for sure. Uh, do you think they're, like, right now their coach doesn't seem to have a lot of confidence in anybody outside of his top six? Like, he really relies on six forwards, including even on the penalty kill. Like, at some point, you know, you can talk about no production five on five. I get that. But I don't think you I think you're starting to go down a slippery slope when you're playing your top guys that many minutes, including on the penalty kill, you know, for this long a time. Well, they're they're in a bit of a tight spot when it comes to penalty killing right now, because two guys that they rely on heavily for that, David Kampf and Callie Arncroke are unavailable right now. Uh, Kampf, we'll see if he's back at the beginning of next week. Sheldon Keefe suggested he had something that cropped up in the last game before the break. Uh, didn't really get into exactly what it was, but he's out this week. He said he's day-to-day once the weekend rolls around. So he's a guy that takes on a lot of shorthanded minutes uh, in Cali Yarncroke, too. Um, so beyond that, they just don't have, quite honestly, a lot of personnel that's that's capable of, of playing um, in that fast of the game. Uh, Noah spends a lot of time killing penalties. Um, but after that, like they have no choice but to turn to guys like Austin Matthews or William Nylander. Mitch Marner's already a big part of the penalty killing unit, but Matthews and Nylander have to be relied on at, at this point because they're not comfortable putting Matthew Nyes in that role. They're not comfortable putting Tyler Bertuzzi in that role. They're not comfortable putting Max Domi, Ryan Reeves, um, you know, and Nick Robertson. So 
then what do you do? Like, you have no choice. So his hands are tied there to an extent, and I agree with you. It's too many minutes. It really is. You can't have those guys playing 24 minutes a night. Case in point, we've the Oilers have tried that in past years. It hasn't worked out well. You can't have guys playing that often. But um, the other issue right now is that nobody not named uh, Matthews, Tavares, Nylander, or Marner are scoring. Yeah. So... I mean, if you're Sheldon Keefe, really, like, what do you do right now? Uh, especially when you're in a game like Toronto was on Wednesday against Dallas, where they got the game's first goal, then they went down 2-1, you're midway through the second period, you're not playing that good. You need, one, to get the momentum back in your favor, and two, just by the letter of the law, you got to try and find a way to score some goals. So um, that's kind of what they're dealing with right now, is that personnel, from a personnel standpoint, they're kind of shorthanded. Uh, Dave, we are now officially one month away from the NHL trade deadline. 29 days to uh, be exact. Of course, it's on Friday, March 8th. We've already seen uh, Vancouver and Calgary make a deal. Montreal and Winnipeg uh, make a deal. The Canucks have made uh, more trades this year than arguably almost the whole rest of the league combined, <laughs> at least since the start of uh, the season. And Toronto, Tim Rutherford likes to make deals. Yeah, he does, buddy. He loves it. It's great for the league. <laughs> I uh, And, you know, uh, Alvin obviously is following in his footsteps, so that's great. But, you know, everybody knows Toronto wants to uh, to upgrade their blue line. Um, how patient do you think Tree Leaving can be here? Well, I think he can be as patient as the record suggests. And right now they're in a position to be patient, provided they continue to play well. they got a big game coming up on Saturday against Ottawa, then St. Louis is in on Monday in Philadelphia, or I guess Tuesday, and then Philadelphia next Thursday. So, like, let's be honest. If you want to consider yourself a quality team, an upper echelon team, those are three three games that, quite frankly, you got to find a way to pick up wins in. Um, and if you can do that, or at least win two of those three, and, and then you couple that with the fact that you won uh, last night against Dallas, so now you got a nice little run, and you continue to buy your manager some time um you know i think they're trying to be patient because i think they're trying to drive the price down i think you know right now where we're at you know, like you know when you go to a silent auction gregor there's you know you, you can put in your bid or you can go to the buy now bid and it's usually a, a much higher number but if you were willing to pay that number well then you can guarantee yourself of getting whatever it is that you're bidding on that's kind of where we are right now in the in the trade uh market right is that you know look at look at uh, vancouver they wanted elias lindholm i think they paid a, a fairly high price but they wanted the guy and they were willing to pay the price so they got him uh, i think toronto was trying to to upgrade their blue line without question in fact i don't think i know but um they're also trying to drive the price down uh, they don't have many picks in the first two rounds coming up over the next, uh, I think it's three, like this draft and then two more. They are uh, this draft and the next year's draft. They've they've divested themselves of a lot of picks, not this manager, the, the former guy, in moves that they made that ultimately no, just didn't didn't yield them a Stanley Cup. But but they, they have first-round pick this year. They would like to keep it because they understand that they want to try to extend their windows. So a guy you pick this summer, you know, might be in a position where he can start to help you two seasons from now. 
when Matthews is into his third year of his new deal, right? Where you want to try to keep that window open, certainly the last year of his new deal. Um, so, so that's what they're looking at right now because, you know, the cupboard is not particularly well stocked. Um, they, they absolutely want to continue to contend, but they, they want to try to start to um, re, refill the cupboards, so to speak, as well. So I think they're going to wait as long as they possibly can before they make uh, a significant move. Dave McCarthy from uh, Sirius XM joins us. You know, there are some teams. Jack Hughes comes back in, in New Jersey tonight, and uh, when Hughes is in the lineup, uh, the Devils are a much better team. That's uh, obvious. The record clearly shows it. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, their penalty kill is good. Their their five-on-five scoring, actually, Dave, is quite good. But their power play is atrocious. Now, they've switched up their power play. They went to two units. They switched up Malkin and Crosby, each on one unit, right? Crosby's with Latang, Malkin's with Carlson. And, you know, Then you got Raquel and Gensel and the other guys, Carter. Each unit... Basically played the same amount of minutes last game against Winnipeg. Each unit scored a goal. If the Penguins' power play wakes up, and they don't have to be top, they just don't have to be 30th. If they're just middle of the pack, Dave, I I think the Penguins uh, get themselves in the playoffs because the rest of their game has actually been pretty decent. Yeah, not bad. Um, The power play sewered them before Christmas. I think they went like just about all of November and December without scoring a power play goal. So that's not going to be nearly good enough. Um, I, I don't see why they can't, right? I mean, one, they are in a good position when it comes to games played. That's in their favor. They got a handful of games in hand. Like, that that third spot in the Metro Division is wide open up for grabs. Really, it's whichever team gets hot is going to be able to grab it. But um, Pittsburgh certainly one of those teams – I still really like the Devils. They're getting Jack Hughes back uh, tonight, which is going to be uh, a huge addition for New Jersey. They haven't played that well in the last 11 games without him. Certainly uh, their scoring has dropped. Um, if they can get him back in, he can get rolling. If Timo Meyer and Andre Palat, who have either been in and out of the line through injury in the first half or have underperformed, if, if they can get their games to a level that at least they're playing two expectations, not even above, but two expectations, that'll be a significant upgrade as well. Um, and they, can, they just need to find a way to get a stop. So I think the Penguins, the Devils um, are absolutely in the mix. I'm going to be really interested to see if Philadelphia can sustain. I'm not convinced that they will now, um, given what they're dealing with between the pipes. Uh, Samuel Larson's been good, but they can't run the guy into the ground, right? They yeah. need somebody else. So that's going to be a huge issue. Um, and then after that, I, I don't see it out of Washington. I, I don't see them being able to sustain. The Islanders seem to have been hit and miss uh, over uh, the last little while, certainly since the coaching change. They were pretty good on Monday against Toronto, but um, they're going to need to put a run together. So, so to me, it's probably going to come down to Pittsburgh, the Islanders, and the Devils. To get into that third spot, I think Philly drops out, and I don't see it out of Washington. So that's going to be a good race in the second half. Yeah, and then you throw in uh, Tampa Bay. Huge news with the uh, injury to uh, Sergachev. I think they were in, the, in line for defense, but now they might be in line for two potentially. Although they don't have a lot to offer, <laughs> so many draft picks, no assets. Yeah, they've traded. Uh, they've traded lots of them. So, but uh, you know what? I think that was one of those teams. Like whatever. Well, uh, you know what? We got Braden Points, Young, Vasilevsky, still good. Edmonds, good. Kucherov, still good. We'll figure it out. 
out and uh, we'll worry about the uh, the other stuff uh, down the road. At least that's kind of, you know, what they're... And then, like the Brandon Hagel trade, people thought they gave up way too much for him. That's no. worked out very well. The Barkley Goudreau one, the only one that hasn't worked out so far is Tanner know, right? And they gave up a lot of late picks for him. But I, I look at a team like the Detroit Red Wings, Dave. Where do you come out on the... like? You think the wings are good enough or are they just kind of hanging around and ultimately when, when teams start to tromp on it here down the stretch that they get left behind or do you think they can stay afloat? Well, yeah, Detroit has been one of those ones where they've hung around longer than I thought they would. They they kind of went through a, a tough spot there right after they got Patty Kane in the lineup uh, and played quite poorly and I thought, oh, that, that's going to be it for them. And, and then to their credit... Uh, they got it back in order again and then went on a real nice you know, 10 or 12 game stretch and have got themselves back in the mix. So, um, look, the, the Atlantic right now, I see Boston, I see Florida in. Um, that third spot, like losing Sergachev uh, for Tampa Bay is going to be significant, albeit he's missed the last 17 games yes. prior to getting back in the lineup last night. And and they've they've gone on a nice little run, have been able to sustain themselves. However, you, you say to yourself, okay, so they did it for 17, 20 games. Can they do it for, you know, 45, 50 games, which is really what they would have to do if it looks like he's going to be out for the remainder of the year. You wonder if at some point that catches up to them because, quite honestly, look at their blue line. It's Victor Hedman and then a bunch of guys where you're like, oh, boy, I, I don't really know who a lot of those guys are. So that that's a huge um, I, I would say, um, gap in their lineup right now. Detroit, you know, I, I I do feel, I don't know about you, Jason, that five teams could come out of the Atlantic this year. Oh, yeah. Two, two wild cards. So, you know, if you look at Boston, Florida, Toronto, Tampa, there's four. Yeah, I don't know. As long as, yeah. You know, as long as they can just be better, then, then um, you know the Flyers, the Islanders, the Penguins, the Devils—you know—just be better than all but one of those teams. They, they're going to be able to find a way to get in, and they've—they've they've got what I would say is they've got a lot of like good players in that lineup. They don't have a lot of game breakers, but they've got a lot of just serviceable quality players. A lot's going to have to go right, but I could see them sort of hunting around and keeping themselves in the mix and be battling for that wild card spot come the end of the year. Dave McCarthy from uh, Sirius XM, uh, usually our Tuesday guest, but he uh, joined us uh, today and Thursday as we uh, move things around. Dave, we really appreciate it. As always, my man, have a good week. Uh, enjoy wine collecting. We'll talk to you next Tuesday. How was the Waste Management concert, buddy? Buddy, it was. Uh, you know what? It's a great venue. Post Malone, fantastic show, really good performer. I would highly recommend going to see Post Malone in concert. You know what? Your uh, recommendation carries high weight with me. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, trust me. You would uh, like, you know, hey, that venue is pretty unique. Now, unfortunately, they're, I think they're in a rain delay uh, right now for uh, day one of the waste management. Because I'll tell you, when it rains there, holy, like we oh. got we got stuck in I'm Oh, my God. Like it comes down. Then it, and it rolls over pretty quickly usually. But when it comes down, whoo, mama, it, it rains hard. Give me shelter. Yes. Mick Jagger once said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Have a good one. That's uh, Dave McCarthy from uh, Sirius XM. Uh, when we return, oh my goodness. F1. It's been a few uh, busy story weeks. We'll get to that, and then we're going to dive into heavy in the hour number t- uh, three and four of the show on the new D pairs for the Edmonton Oilers. Ooh, there's a lot of people saying, what? Pardon? Well, we'll tell you about it. On the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. We continue on. Busy Thursday. How are you? 
Jason Greger Show, Sports 1440, and uh, Oilers Nation YouTube. It's a, a busy time of year, man. Uh, busy time of year. Uh, I like it. like it a lot. There's uh, so much going on in, in all the sporting world. Is uh, We're going to speed things up a little bit in the uh, Thursday edition of the Racing Report, brought to you by Cantork. And, uh, baby, new, improved... That's what their website is. Uh, all new, uh, improved navigation, more product information. And as a bonus, you can watch every episode of the Racing Report at cantork.com. As uh, Colin Livingston joins us uh, once again. I wasn't here last week, Colin. There's the big news that uh, Lewis Hamilton is moving to Ferrari next year. So he'll have one more season uh, with Mercedes, which is kind of odd that uh, they know he's leaving, but he's still going to finish that out. I, that's kind of odd to me. But, hey, that's just, that's just how it is. But, uh, you know, big news uh, this week. That uh, Christian uh, Horner is under investigation for inappropriate conduct uh, with an employee. Uh, the parent company, Red Bull, says they take the allegations uh, very seriously. And some people have suggested that uh, maybe they told him, that, you know, he should voluntarily step down. I don't know if, if that's true or not. But uh, what do you make of this news? And, you know, how could this, if he does, if he is... You know, they found that, okay, it's inappropriate and he leaves. How much of a blow is that? Like, how much does he do on race day for Red Bull? Um, welcome back, first of all. Uh, it was fun playing with Streddy last week, but uh, always good to have the master back in the uh, in, in the studio there, Gregor. Um, is it, it, the, the effect it'll have won't be immediate for sure. I mean, the, the people are in place at Red Bull Racing. Um, you know, procedures won't change. Systems won't change. You know, there, there won't be, um, as far as the team goes, they're going to carry on just fine. Okay. Um, but for Horner, um, because everything that I'm reading, everything that I'm seeing, everything indicates, um, you know, these aren't the kinds of things that that get out like this. And, and these kinds of allegations don't don't get the kind of response that they've got, especially from parent company Red Bull saying that, like, we've hired independent counsel to investigate this thing. They've seen whatever evidence this employee has has presented. So they've got a pretty good idea what, you know, what the outcome is going to be to the point that, you know, again, lots of people um, are, are suggesting that the what's best for everyone is for Horner to walk away. Uh, saw a bunch of articles today that, that actually said um, that no matter what happens from this point, it's highly unlikely that, that he, um, he stays on with, with, uh, you know, with Red Bull racing, which, you know, being that he's been there since day one, if, if this ends up um, with him leaving, um, what a, what a, like, absolutely horrible way to, to you know to, to leave from the absolute pinnacles of motorsport they've, they've put together the greatest single season that any team could possibly ever have i mean the only thing they could have done any better was to win the one other race um you know the three uh, straight constructors championships max's three three consecutive drivers championships and to have it go away uh, from from Mr. Horner like this is uh, yeah unthinkable. I mean, to me, this is actually a bigger story than than Lewis to Ferrari. Yeah, well, so the 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 allegations are that he sent pictures to a you know, and I don't like 
if that's even true, like I don't even understand how like, what goes through your mind thinking that that stuff isn't traceable. Number one, like it's so it's so beyond stupid. I just don't understand it if it's uh, if it's true. Um, I do want to get your thoughts um, on Hamilton. What, what was one of the major issues is as, as to why you know he ultimately wanted to, they ultimately made this decision to leave? And do you think it's a good move? Well, for I think it's actually going to work out. Uh, work out well for everyone that's involved. I mean, my guess is that Mercedes is going to shake things up a little bit. I think they're going to go with a younger driver versus an established driver because they're, they're really trying to re, um, you know, rebuild what they've got. They, they had to, you know, essentially scrap their, their zero side pod design, uh, at the start of last year. Um, you know, this is the first year that they're going to, you know, be able to kind of claim a, a, a new design of that car um, with Lewis having run his entire career with Mercedes power. Um, it'll be obviously a big change for him, but uh, yeah, they're going to bring in the younger driver. Um, what, what I started seeing, um, you know, uh, throughout the week was that Lewis was hoping for, um, you know, an ambassador role, once he stopped driving. So, you know, he wanted to stay with the team and he wanted to, you know, kind of adopt a role similar in nature to what Nicky Lauda did, where he was basically a, you know, a paid advisor to, you know, help run the team. And it seemed like Mercedes was reluctant to give that to him until 2035. So he would have to sit on the sidelines potentially 10 years uh, before they would even consider that. And, and, you know, of course, the difference between a company like Mercedes and Ferrari Mercedes is, you know, very, very uh, highly structured with multiple levels of approval. So even simple decisions uh, take take a lot of uh, consideration. A lot of things have to to get put in place. Where Ferrari is more of a private company, and you know, if the head of Ferrari decides we're going to hire this guy and we're going to pay him, you know, uh, eighteen billion dollars a year, they can do that without any any big decision making. Um, so. Big picture, I think it's going to work out well. Uh, really interesting that in the last couple of days, though, on the Hamilton side of things, um, apparently he's got an anti-poaching clause yeah. in his contract. So if they try and retain um, Pete Bonington as his engineer or any of the other strategists, um, they're really going to have to negotiate hard with Mercedes to get the releases. They can't simply just you know grab these guys. Uh, I saw a story online that how the Christian Horner case could help Ferrari snatch Adrian Newey from Red Bull. Um, there, there is that chance. Yeah. yeah. Well, now, what do you make of that? Well, in uh, and again, you know, I obviously don't have um, access to the uh, the formal contracts to be able to say I've seen this in, in writing. But apparently between Adrian Newey and Christian Horner, they have exit clauses that allow the other uh, if if one of them leaves for any reason, the other can leave. Um, you know, basically, they say that they're a, a package. Um, now, while it would be possible um, for, for Newey to get uh, hired on by Ferrari, it sounds like he's already pledged his allegiance to Red Bull to say like uh, he wants to stick it through. Um, he he also did mention though that he's come close on two different occasions to moving to Ferrari, but as it came time to put his signature on the piece of paper, he got cold feet and just and just stuck with uh, stuck with the status quo. So you know who knows? Maybe you know knowing that. Um, 
you know, seven time champs over there gives him a little bit more motivation to, uh, uh, to, to maybe, uh, get away from the blues and throw on the reds. Yeah. I would, uh, it's, it's just an interesting one to see like kind of, you know, the trickle down effect and what the other, uh, moving parts, uh, could be, uh, what about the Andretti Cadillac story? Um, Oh, yeah, that man. a lot of people thought it was I wouldn't say that it was like it was it was very close to happening. And obviously now it doesn't uh, like do they got to restart all over? What happens there? Well, it's such a bloody mess because Andretti's been moving along as if they're going to have a team on the grid, not in 2025, but probably 2026. They've yeah. been developing a car. They've been running it through the wind tunnel. They've got staff in place. Um, and the way that F1 kind of shot them down um, and declined their, um, their their application was it was it was like pistol whip and a blind kid kind of like steal the line from Seinfeld. But yeah. They, um, the, the F1 management said, or sorry, the, um, F1 said that they extended an offer to Andretti to present their case back in November, December, um, which Andretti didn't get. And the, you know, apparently it was sent by email. The email got into somebody's junk folder and Andretti's group didn't even know that there was an opportunity on the table to meet with them. And that oh. was largely what affected is like, you guys are the pinnacle of technology. You don't know how to pick up a phone. Like you, you want to meet with these guys. You can't put a feeler out. Like you don't send a follow up. So it's the whole thing is so preposterous. Um, but it sounds like there might be a legal challenge brewing in the background that, you know, Andretti has really jumped through the hoops. They've, I think they've addressed a lot of the concerns that, that the other teams have had. And with, with the, you know, with F1 and, um, you know, Formula One management putting such a focus on the States for them to just like, keep dumping on Andretti as, as, you know, I mean, Haas is there, but all of their operations are really, you know, in, in Europe. Andretti will be based in in Indianapolis, um, you know, with, you know, arguably the big one of the biggest names in motorsports history, um, you know, to say that they keep wanting to work in the States, but they don't really want to work with Americans. Uh, that hasn't gone over well historically. And, and F1 has really uh, not learned their lessons from the past. And uh, uh, quickly to uh, Cardin, Colin, uh, some local guys, uh, of course, you know, still racing in Cardin, obviously uh, in America, in Tucson and, and in Florida for Matthew uh, Taskin and uh, Devin Gellin's uh, some pretty good showings. Yeah, I mean, really proud. Uh, both both race with my my uh, my CRG race team. Uh, Matthew, we've talked about quite a lot. He's a four finals, um, you know, competitor. Uh, he and his dad, John, man, they, they, they had a rough go getting down to, to Orlando, uh, truck lost the transmission, had to, you know, it took an extra 24 hours to make the, the 42 hour drive. Yeah, um, you know, fighting with these big teams that have multiple cars. Um, and, and Matthew was in the mix all weekend, just kind of made a, a few critical mistakes at the wrong times, battled back, uh, which, which we love, but, uh, finished third overall. Uh, but now, I think that stoked the fire to uh, to really uh, make a, a big run for the the tickets uh, in Canada. Okay. Uh, and Devin, yeah, I mean, um, you know, we started talking about Devin as a 16 year old uh, that that used to beat my ass in uh, in DD2, and now she's starting to compete uh, in more of the uh, the U.S. races just to get you know exposure to other levels of racing and other other competitors. Um, so looking forward to being able to race with her at the end of the month uh, back in Tucson for round two of the Challenge of the Americas. Awesome, Colin, great stuff man we'll chat with you next thursday have a good week 
You bet, man. It's Colin Livingston in the uh, Racing Report, brought to you by Cantark. Man, there's lots of stuff. No, no end of the juicy stories in uh, in F1, but that Horner story is definitely one to uh, to watch uh, if if the allegations are uh, are accurate. Um, probably ain't going to be there much longer. Like, what are you doing? So, um, it's always an odd one to me. Like, you're married, you're sending pictures to a staffer. Why? Because those are the allegations. Not smart. Uh, when we come back, it's not an allegation, it's a fact. Three new D pairs for the Edmonton owners. We'll break those down. Next, we've got lots of reaction to that. 833-401-1440. We'll give a look and why I don't think it's just going to be a one-game experiment. We'll get to all that and more after Connor Halley in a Sports 1440 update brought to you by Fountain Tire. Your place for tires. It says it right in the name. You know it. You need great tires. You want great deals. You get it at Fountain Tire. But also, you got any mechanical issues in your vehicle you need fixed? Well, they got the top certified mechanics to do it. Go to FountainTire.com. Book your appointment today.